welcome to Chasing Squirrels Podcast. I gotta start this podcast with a big old supersize portion of apology. The uh, stories you're about to hear were recorded last summer, 2018. And the tapes have been sitting in my computer, getting buried under virtual dust. Begging, waiting, reminding me every time I sit down, I can see the draft copy of this podcast sitting on my desktop. And it just seemed like I never could commit the time to getting it done. Now, the irony is, is that I've put together a whole lot of other digital projects, you know, kept up with other little activities that happen online. And for some reason, this one, I just, I, I didn't get back to it. And I've, I'm, you know, I'm going to, th- I'll throw down, you know, the apology right now. So this podcast, episode 66, seven months in the making is a conversation with Mike Reynolds. Now you might know Mike Reynolds under one of his under his, his other handle called everyday girl dad. And this dude is, well, he came onto my radar originally because I saw some, Oh, needlepoint, but that's not it. Are they called needlepoint? I'm probably mis, I'm misrepresenting here. Stitch cross stitching. I can apologize for that too, Mike. So his cross stitching and what I saw online, I don't know how I came across it. Uh, his cross stitching are, are phenomenal. So for those of you that haven't checked out cross stitching before, imagine almost like sewing and pixel pictures together. Like if you're trying to imagine what this would look like. So a lot of his pictures are characters from popular media, from comic books, from fantasy movies. And what he's his angle that caught my attention is that he's looking to he's looking to bolster the conversation around feminism and making sure that adult males the dads the fathers have the words and the ideas and the ways to have conversations not only with their family to speak of their own ideas but also talking with their daughters and you know the um the content that he's throwing down on Instagram about body positivity is phenomenal and talking about mental wellness is phenomenal. And for all of this, for all of this, Mike, I, I humbly apologize. I will do better. I should have put this out sooner. I should have committed to try and getting this podcast done faster. It just, it got buried. It got buried under all that virtual dust of other projects. So I'm really pleased to be able to push this one out interesting update to this story is that when Mike and I talked last summer he had not yet launched his own podcast and I really recommend you to check it out it's called the so manly podcast and if you want to blow your mind one of the episodes in there that I'm still I'm still that sort of bounce around in my mind is an episode it actually just came out this year in a conversation with Andrew Gerza and the title of the episode is Sex and Disability and really confronting our own concepts of ableism you got to check that one out so without any further blah 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 because I really do want to get this story out here is Mike Reynolds the everyday girl dad and our conversation from last summer What I love about your 
everyday girl dad and even just the approach that you're taking with because you're multifaceted right you 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 are you throw down you tell me tell me tell me all the spaces just because other people will want to reach out to you you know yeah. i'm hoping after this so that that moniker of everyday girl dad how yes. many different spaces does it exist in uh it exists in i currently have a website with it which is everydaygirldad.com where i sell some of the the shirts that we make and as our fundraiser and then it also exists on youtube and on twitter and instagram and facebook those are the three everyday girl dad locations and yeah the the whole uh, up until a couple of years ago i was operating under it's called Puzzling Post Dad, more because I, I started a blog that was um, Stephen Leacock inspired and uh, was just fiction writing for the most part. And then it kind of morphed into parenting as I became one. And then my writing took on more of an actual shape. And uh, I reflected over a few different things, one of them being one of them focusing on all of the kid drawing tattoos I had. Uh, and then the other one being this, a lot of the stuff that I wrote, the social um, discussion pieces were about being a dad to daughters. And the everyday girl dad part came because uh, a lot of the time dads are praised unnecessarily for doing things that are very simple. And I didn't want it to be seen as anything exceptional for dads to be involved in, you know, social messaging and everything. Hence the everyday, there's nothing exceptional or I just like to take on the completely average guy who makes plenty of mistakes, who, you know, is on his phone when his kids want him to do something. And I am by no means perfect. And the everyday girl dad was just kind of a way to say, look, let's all be part of this. This shouldn't take uh, exceptional people. We should all be, looking to raise our daughters and sons in ways that make sense. So everyday girl that came into that part. So, um, geez, you make it sound so easy just to sort of harmonize all those things. What was the, what was the, the sort of like the spark to tie together, you know, this, I'll, I'll do it in a different way. When I first started doing some podcasting and sort of posting some stuff on Twitter I, so I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher in a school board, just, just North of Toronto. And when I first started putting out media, started putting out posts, I I went by the moniker of beyond binders. And I thought that's a good way to kind of speak to kind of where I'm going. And what I quickly found out is it didn't really address where I am. I, I kind of got in this idea that a little bit like the, the the digital mask would allow me to get into conversations like, oh, Clough, yeah. You know, that they saw my name on right. it, like, who's this yeah. guy? But, ooh, something like Beyond Binders. So what, by by sort of putting together the every everyday girl dad, sort of like bring it together with that name, yeah. um, what kind of what kind of interest has been sparked in it? Because you're also, I mean, I, I kind of, when I see you come up on Twitter, I think, well, that's Mike Reynolds, and I, I see your Twitter handle. Yeah. Um, but kind of by putting it together with uh, that titling has some surprising, sometimes I talk to a lot of teachers. And so when they start getting online, I ask them something like, you know, like who kind of noticed you? Like, how did, sure. how did you sort of, and how was that brought to your attention yeah. when you just started posting out? So were, have there been any surprises when people kind of like, well, is that Mike? Mike's doing that? Like, yeah, has there been any? Uh, 
it's it's interesting. I I think that if I could, I mean, part of it too is I work in. I guess well, I mean, so I have a day job where I'm a communications officer as well. So I do have plenty of social media interactions outside of this everyday girl dad persona, I suppose. Um, I I would also the only other thing that I think of going to because I still find it weird to uh, like I if I do a a speaking event to be introduced as everyday girl dad versus Mike Reynolds. I still, I still very much enjoy the Mike Reynolds part, but the, the, the handles since they're everywhere. And since I wanted stuff that kind of matched up with what I was writing, did kind of um, become a thing unto itself, I suppose. So I think most people that know everyday girl dad know that it is Mike Reynolds and I hope they do because I certainly have no problems putting my name to my handle kind of thing. I'm not trying to do it as a, you know, this pseudonym or anything. I, I very much want uh, Mike Reynolds, like the, the Mike Reynolds day-to-day is the everyday girl that day-to-day. So I try, I'm not trying to, to share messages when I have everyday girl dad thoughts and, you know, then hide it otherwise. I mean, it's always, the everyday girl dad thing is is just a a name that made sense at the time when I was looking to rename everything or rename all my websites and social handles because puzzling post dad made even less sense and I was already uh, I was getting some recognition I suppose or being published in certain places with the puzzling post dad and that made no sense anymore so every time I had to try and explain that one was even harder. Uh, so it was mostly just trying to find something that matched up with my blog at the time. And now so much of what I do now actually is, is simply, uh, Mike Reynolds that if I, if I, if I could just go with Mike Reynolds <laughs> instead of like Mike underscore Reynolds, you know, 64. I know. Kind of thing, it, that, it's, I like the, totally it's like the, it's like the train has left the building. Eh? It started, exactly. having, it's, it's I was too definitely... late to get anything close. So it's funny because about so back in back in April I decided I'm gonna take a break from social media and I and I erased my my Twitter account just called it down sort of said I'm checking out for a little bit I may be back I don't know I just need some disconnect and when I came back I was able to get the exact same handle I was I was kind of mind blown I was really mind blown like really not not that I'm it's just because I think all of us have been in there trying to at least apply for some sort of a uh you know, a login name and you want to get it without too many numbers or special characters because exactly. you're looking at, you're looking at yourself on the screen, but yeah. through some sort of coded language. Sure. So I totally get it. It's funny. One of the things I'm wondering, tell me if you're comfortable with this, if this is a, a so with the, um, the daily communications work that you do, and then you have, you have this whole other job, not even to speak to to fatherhood yet, but the the yeah. every everyday girl dad job, the work of it. Yeah. Um, within the description of that, would you be comfortable if I called you an educator? Um, no, I'm I'm fine with being called an educator. <laughs> like while at the same time identifying myself as someone who is also being educated. Right. So I have no problem because that's kind of the model that I try to run is to offer up um, whatever insight I have into my own experiences as a way to help people 
learn while also reflecting on the experiences of others to help me learn along the way. But actually, I, I don't think I've ever used educator, but I would, I would like to think that that is part of what I'm doing. It's certainly one of my aims. So uh, I hope so. Yeah, it's, it's what it, where I felt a real connection to your style is that I, as, a, as an educator, as a teacher, I, I call myself a, a, a story teacher. Like that's what I use. I try and use snippets, snippets from my life, things that I've kind of observed and tie it to the lessons that we're working on in class, the activities, sure. creating a little bit of that experience. And in reading, I looked at the uh, Tiny Tales so the, yep. the time yep. I'm right on that, the tiny tales yep. and um, watching some of your media that you've posted, I had, I had a sudden, I had a moment where I was thinking to myself, this is very like, very like, and I, and I agree with you, lifelong learner. That's the jargon for teachers. Um, sure. Yeah. But I, I thought to myself, this is the, this is the greatest way that learning can be couched. Um, and it made me wonder about your, your sort of starting point with some of your your ideas. Now, I know the Tiny Tales and anyone that's checking out this podcast, the Tiny Tales are some of the short stories that you developed with your daughters? With, uh, mostly with my oldest daughter, but okay. definitely so, a little bit with both, a lot, all of them, at least with the oldest one. So, And, and what, it, what, what are wonderful about them is that they remind me of stories that my own... <laughs> kids will tell me about something and there's not quite a clear plot curve to it. It's, it's, it's loose, but it's, it's packed. It's the emotional color of it. Like I'm reading and I'm like, I got to stop reading. I'm tearing up here. Like this is, (laughs) (laughs) it's catching me every time. Right. Yeah. Hitting the dad strings every single time. But it also, it so clearly reminds me, of uh, and connects with me about what it's like to share time with a with a child sure. to yeah. to observe their creativity to not get in the way of their creativity, yeah. and I think that was the sort of the key. Go ahead, you jump in. Yeah, and I mean that that getting in the way of people's creativity was something that I I mean I still focus on just not as much now. It's more in the the day-to-day parenting than it is my online blogging with my kids. But it was that idea of at some point, somehow everyone starts to believe that coloring within the lines is the mandatory road to success. And my uh, parenting viewpoint was I am going to delay this for as long as I possibly can. And if I'm able to delay that until they're 120, then that's great Uh, because it is I mean, it's just the nature of where we live and how we grow up that there is a lot of boxing, not only kids, but adults too, into certain ways of thinking because it's then easier for everyone else to, I mean, it, like people think of it as more um, manageable, right? To not have to, if everyone's following the same rule book and giving the same outputs. But for my kids, I wanted them to be able to understand that their talent may not be in drawing a, you know, a perfect Wonder Woman, but it could be in really enjoying the process, right? And so getting away from the idea of the finished product looking like X and 
just having fun along the way is kind of where we were at with the the stories. So mixing some some messaging that we like, there's some stories about diversity and acceptance, and also just lying in bed laughing and coming up with some pretty neat stories. So, and I also like to show them my own weaknesses in doing that. I've always been a terrible illustrator, so it was fun to be able to sit there and draw with them as well and show them that I don't color within the lines either, right? So to kind of to bring break down some of those barriers that you often see between um, adults and kids where adults have this perfect method and kids are always learning to become more adult. So I as, as much as I'm trying to raise them to grow up to be very uh, responsible and compassionate and caring kids, I'm also trying to selfishly steal some of their childness and uh, use that in my own life, right? By getting all these weird drawing tattoos and proudly <laughs> proudly discussing them every time that I'm out in public. And the, the more that I can be a kid, I think the, the more fun I have. You know what? It well. totally works too. Totally works. My um, several times in this past year, it's been uh, sometimes family makeover day. Sometimes it's daddy makeover. It all depends on, you know, kind of who's available for the art, the arts that day. But I got to tell you, um, there's, you know, the fingernail polish or the toenail polish that I've rocked in the neighborhood. It's it, it's the moment when you get outside your bubble that you sort of make a connection. When I when I call you the educator, I think that's the distance that your words are traveling. Because some people are like, I, I can't. When, so we have this um we have this company. Uh, so you know Canadian Tire. So we have something called Princess Auto, and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's national, but it's kind of like a really really dressed down Canadian Tire. So you know, if in doubt, go there. You're gonna find something, and it's just like shelf. It's it's like shelves and shelves of the of stuff that has to do with hardware and cars. So I'm like, I need a wrench for something. I forget what it was, a crescent wrench. And I'm in there and, you know, I'm in the flip-flops and the raggedy t-shirt this summer. And I get down an aisle and I'm sort of have the hands up, sort of like checking the measurements on the different wrenches. And I look over and dude standing beside me, he's looking at the fingernails. Now <laughs> I, you have that moment, you have that moment because I think my, you know, I'm a superhero when I'm with my kids. Like I, I can be, I can be anything you're, and I'm, if I'm walking with my kids, like you said, they're like your batteries, right? Sure. Yeah. But you have that moment when you're sort of out alone and you're like, okay, I got, I got to represent. So you kind of get sort of prepared for some sort of a, I was ready for some color in, in his commentary. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He looks at me, he looks at my hand, he starts off with the lead and it was still kind of neutral. He's like, nice color. I'm like, okay, this could go in any direction. Right. And, he, and then he follows up pretty quickly as he goes back to looking at hammers or whatever's the next thing down. He goes, it's good to spend time with your daughter. <laughs> that was it. And yeah. I thought, it's a great moment. Now, I've had other oh, moments totally. on my street. Yeah. Yeah, I've had other moments on my street where it's been not not as simple as that. You can feel so, the It is, back. and it is difficult. Like, I mean, that's the, for me to 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 sit here and pretend that I'm always totally comfortable doing some of the things that I, that I end up doing is, I mean, I would be completely lying. Like sometimes I was walking around in my, 
my Liz Plank uh, big uterus energy shirt the other day in the menstrual products aisle, just taking a picture with menstrual products. And as I, like, it is, I mean, it's, it, it's more important for me to, to do it than it is to, you know, to say, Oh man, what if someone sees me? What if people think this or that? But to pretend that I don't still, I mean, we're all conditioned to think that these things aren't what guys do. And that's one of the reasons that I talk as much as I do about how backwards our our views on masculinity can be. And not just that uh, there is, because I wouldn't even say that the way I perform masculinity is the, the way to do it, but it's that, I well, the way I perform it won't be the same way you perform it, and mm-hmm. to not be so rigid in the in the way that people do it, provided things are, um, you know, that acceptance is what drives yours, then then there's quiet masculinity that can be, you know, you can still be really loud. Like there's there's the way that people create all of these um, dangers around men sitting back and listening as opposed to always being this loud obnoxious thing is it's really wild how people think that you can't be quiet and that there must be this way to act and it's been it's been an interesting journey for me for sure it got me thinking almost like there's a really big space there's a really big space between fatherhood and being a man. And I, and I don't mean that I, 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 I'm not suggesting anything necessarily negative about that or incompatible. Like you can't put the two together. Um, but I guess because one fatherhood has a, a state of mind to it, you know, being a father, like it's not a, I guess, you, there, I guess there is a, a genetic kind of like angle to it. But the concept of fatherhood really is kind of separate from the establishment of man. Oh, definitely. I mean, what do you think about that space between or just that idea? Yeah, I and and I actually do try to, in many cases, um, discuss it not related to being a dad. I mean, sometimes I do because I get I, I get a little passionate about about dad things and parenting things and uh, government of Ontario things. And, um, so sometimes I do approach things from the parenting, but a lot of the masculinity stuff that I like to talk about isn't, I do very consciously try to, um, to keep the discussions around being men, uh, versus being, uh, a dad. And, and I think that there is tons of room. I I think that dads will have a lot in common, but I also think that there is as much in common that I would have with someone who's not a dad in terms of masculinity as someone who is. So I'm, I am, I am definitely mindful of having those conversations and not letting too much of it uh, focus on parenting, especially since I'm at, at this point in my life, my daughter's, uh, my oldest daughter's turning nine. Like I, I, I've kind of moved away from, from the telling of their story into more uh, the telling of mine as it relates to being a man. And so that really has freed me up to have more of the unparenting discussions around masculinity, because I don't think that 
you know, talking about how um, sexual assault is not something that's uh, should be a topic of jokes. And when you talk about, you know, things like Louis C.K. coming back after nine months, like these are all things that you can talk about outside of being a, a dad. Uh, and you do see a lot, again, a lot of the talk uh, that, that centers around masculinity and seeing uh you know the good and the bad is that often we do uh realize this more when we have daughters and i try to be very upfront that i i certainly am someone who i grew up with two brothers as well uh and i i didn't i didn't seek out the experiences of women the same way that i probably should have uh so for me, again, it, it, I, I also came on board more when I had daughters and um, we come on board when we do to trying to be better men. And while I understand that it's problematic in ways to come on at the age of like 33 and say, oh yeah, you're right, women are people. Um, that part of the reason I talk now about masculinity is, is focusing on how we raise young boys. So how we make sure that this kind of education and involvement happens way sooner than it has in the past, basically. Do you ever, um, as far, so I've had, I've had moments where I've, someone's asked me the other day about sort of childhood moments. And I would say I had, I, I would say for me, my measure, a, a typical childhood, now that presupposes other people would be exactly the same. But like when I think back, it seems rather unremarkable, my childhood. Um, the two parents, my dad worked for the bank. My mom did different jobs. She was the very, always pursuing something sort of different. Um, my dad retired from the bank. My mom, you know, still kind of works little jobs here and there. When I think back on, when I, when I, when I think back on the parenting and the family structure, I often land on this space where I would, I would quite confidently say that I learned to be a man from my mother. My dad worked a lot. He, 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 he would be leaving very early in the morning, usually 5.30 in the morning to grab the train, to go to Toronto. He'd be coming home around dinner time. Um, and a lot of the stuff, the learning about the world and learning to work through the world would have kind of already been worked out by the time he got home. Uh, my, my mom would have sort of, you know, talked with the school or talked with us or kind of coordinated stuff on the home front. And, and I've mentioned that in passing about how we learn, how I've learned to be a father. And I try to, I try to go back. I really, I try to go back to those moments where I can say, yeah, that was the moment that I remember with my dad. That's kind of queuing into this moment, like kind of reaching back into your memories, like when you're, when you're in need. And I, I wonder for you, when you think back as you say, you know, hitting 33, hitting that, this space in your life where you feel like you want to start kind of representing something. When you think about yourself as a, as a father, is it, are, are, are you grabbing cues from when you're growing up? Are you looking currently for mentorship? Is it, you know, your, your spouse bringing out the best in you and just like innately you kind of know what to do? Like, where are you drawing in your your, some of those, pieces to kind of say and i'm not speaking to i'm not speaking to your posts per se yeah, yeah. but the but the dad to dad are you drawing yeah. on your past 
Or is in, um, speaking, in speaking in the present, are you also sort of like creating in the present? I would say a mixture of everything that you right. just mentioned. Uh, yeah, I mean, our family structure was uh, fairly similar. My dad worked for the government. Um, he's also the coach of all my sports teams and everything. So I had a, a very good relationship with my dad. I certainly didn't have the same conversations with my dad that I'm having with my kids. But I think what I do look to from him is that there, I, I never felt that I couldn't ask questions. Um, so, and that I also never felt that he led me to think that once you're an adult, you're done learning kind of thing. So again, <laughs> to the teacher's mantra, mm-hmm. lifelong learner, um, I think that he did help instill that piece in me, which is, I think right now, uh, one of my biggest strengths is the understanding that I still have lots to learn and that I can change things. Like the way that I was raised doesn't have to be the ways I raise my kids, even if the way I was raised was was good, right? You can still make changes. And my mom was actually a guidance counselor at the school I went to, which was a pretty unique situation for me and my brothers, but I didn't <laughs> skip class very often. I, I also got very good teachers as well. So, um, so for, for me, props to the guidance counselors out there, props to the guidance counselors. Yes, exactly. Big time. And, and funnily enough, she was actually the guidance counselor for my partner, uh, who I didn't know at the time. So we met well after my mom was her guidance counselor, but so pretty uh, interestingly enough, my mom knows both of us probably better than we know each other. See, I just, um, I automatically go to the, like, there was something, there was something known. Moms know. There was, there's, <laughs> Yo, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like even thinking back, ask her if her, her hand was ever poised over the, the computer or the, the time card to say, you know what, I think I just, I want to put my son in this class with, uh, with this particular person. <laughs> I would I would say I don't even have to ask her because I know what the actual case was. <laughs> Which, there, there's no uh, doubt in my mind why I... I mean, I remember when I got into Carleton University sending, going to all my teachers and telling them I got into journalism. I had the same English teachers a lot of the time. And I still chat with my English teachers from high school. So years and years later. So those relationships were, were great. And I certainly was lucky to have the teachers I did. Um, but to your, to your other point, I do have a pretty great, uh, dad network in my life as well, where a lot of the, a lot of the men in my life, they're online managed relationships, but I do look to a lot of people that I've met since writing about fatherhood to ask questions about, you know, what they're doing and everything. So I've met so many really cool people, uh, in the last, you know, five or six years, just in the dad blogging space uh that have become the people that i that i go to with questions and to this day i mean the relationships that i have with those people uh even being extreme distance relationships are certainly stronger than boy most of the relationships i can remember throughout my elementary and high school and university career kind of thing so it's been a an interesting development of a parenting support network, I suppose. One that I didn't envision, but one that I now couldn't envision giving up kind of thing. So it's a great way to learn about fatherhood and then to have discussions too that like with dads that don't even focus on fatherhood, but more about 
the role of men and and it's been really great to have those kind of conversations can i can i take you back to school you can for a moment? um I, i'm just kind of following your lead when um what kind of stories do you like to bring back from high school for your your daughters do you bring any stories back from like because I, as I said, I'm I'm a teacher that tells stories, so I never really know where I'm gonna. I, I can't say where I'm gonna grab something from, I, you know. Unless it could, we could be doing a, a civics lesson, and I might have a memory about, um, you know, a, a debate that I had at my kitchen table as a kid. So I'm kind of just. It's like my brain says, "Here you go, try this." Yeah. Um. What kind of stories have you have you sort of thought? To, to share with your daughters about school. Do you ever share your own school experiences? Or again, are you sort of starting from that age 33 forward and saying, okay, we're going to create new content here? Yeah, I, I certainly, and I, at this point, uh, I, I just want to clarify that the, the writing started around 33. I was just talking to my youngest daughter before we started as she gets ready to help plan my 40th birthday. So I won't even give you my age. I'm, I'm a little bit plus (laughs) on that. (laughs) So, uh, I, I I don't know that I bring back school memories specifically. I mean, I do talk about how, um, in elementary school, funnily enough, I work in a library now and my favorite role in my elementary school is being one of the library helpers. And, uh, I remember making up rap songs with my friend in the library. We were both volunteers there and we would listen to DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. And then we would create our own songs and, uh, and rehearse them in the library, which probably wasn't following quiet rules, but <laughs> that's old I school. That librarians old- don't care about that as much anymore. So yeah, that's old school, li- old school library rules. They're, they're exactly. going to be a lot more energized lately. It is. We sell a sign floors, but the library itself is not a quiet spot. So Here, here's um, here. Let me let me push just a little bit. Here's here's um. I. One of the things with my kids, you know, they they know me from the point that they have like recognized me. You know, the point that they can sort of they see themselves as separate from the parent, and they look at me in a way like I've marketed a version of me to them. Yeah. And you just, you got me thinking about the types of stories we tell our own, our own kids. And if, um, if I, if I go by, you know, the, 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 the focus of your discussions now, do you feel in some ways that you, when you were younger, a teenager, a, a young, a young man, like you're accountable to your kids to share some of those parts of yourself. Yeah, I, I, I such will, a hard dad I mean, question, like yeah, <laughs> that I'm about to post on iTunes, but it's like yeah, I, I wrestle exactly. with this. I wrestle with this. My wife and I'll be saying something like, you know, talking about, you know, we traveled before the kids were there. Really simple. We traveled. And my daughter's now old enough to watch a show and recognize a distant place. And then my wife and I will talk about it and say, oh, do you remember we're there? And she turns to her, she's like, when did you go there? As if yeah. everything has started since she was zero years sure, old exactly. to 10. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in some of the work that you're doing now with um, with feminism and, and positive yeah. masculinity and sort of developing just that sort of centered sense of 
don't always go with the stereotype. Yeah. Do you bring, do you bring your pre-self? Yeah. For me, the, the one thing that I actually have found and, and for, in terms of sharing it publicly too, the one thing that I've made the commitment to is always being, uh, honest in what I've discovered about myself and not hiding the stories. I mean, I don't have, I don't have any illegal stories. So, I mean, I can tell them all there. Any stories I have are more of, you know, personal embarrassment and everything. And, and some like learning that's the basic learning, right? So I, I there's nothing, I, I very, very truly can't imagine there being a question my kids could ask me that I wouldn't give them an honest answer to using my my own past experiences or just being upfront that I don't have the right answer right now and that we can look into it together but I I, I absolutely will talk about uh you know pre pre-dad me and the things that uh Andrea and I did before um before they were here and also just you know young me stuff uh I find there's incredible value and and to be completely open about this a lot of it is uh selfishly for myself because I do I do feel very good about being vulnerable and being honest and being open because I think we spend so much of our lives not doing it and thinking that there are things that we we can't tell people and I I don't know I certainly can't speak to the experience of of women but i know as as a guy growing up i i never really talked much about uh any issues that i was having or if i had questions about you know sexuality or orientation there was no one that i turned to to ask these questions i just kind of held it in and talked to myself about it and then uh, at this point with kids i just i so badly want to set a relationship where they can ask us anything and tell us anything and expect us to be supportive of that, that I have created a mindset in myself that I'm doing the same whenever I talk to people as well. And some people, um, it, it may be because I, I also had, I had started a, like a cocktails and cross stitch show where I would create a, a cross stitch pattern while talking to guests about, masculinity and it was so rewarding to talk to so many really cool people about really vulnerable things we talked about you know um talking about death with children and we did talk about uh anxiety i talk about mental health a lot and all of these things that i i have no problem talking to my kids about now because it's important for them to know that i have my own struggles and important for them to know that i'll share with them whatever they want to know in hopes that they will also feel the same towards me. So it's, um, it's, I, I wrestle with some of the, the same things. We had a summer of, um, we had this summer, we had, uh, two of our pets die and both myself and my, and, and Karen, my, my spouse were both educators. So we, we get the summer and right. it's one of those interesting spaces where, um, you know, we could catch some shade for it, like, oh, you know, teachers get summer off. But one of the things I will say that was really fantastic was this is the this is the good bad. 
is that when these two events happened over the summer, that as a family, we were able to share share ourselves and share our moments and show some of the, um, be able to sort of celebrate the fragility and to be able to speak openly. And um, I think there was, there was something really cathartic about it to be able to be yeah. that raw as a family unit. Right. And yeah. you, you make me think about, you know, just as the starting question for this about, you know, is it, it's not a, do we, I guess it's a, how do we, share our pre-dad self and stories like with our kids i would i'm gonna i'm gonna ask some of my buddies that i'm gonna ask yeah. i'm gonna ask them that that's a little bit of an inquiry and and for me too like i it's i think we talked about something earlier as well it is such a it's a process i mean like i don't think that you maybe some people can that just say ah oh, you know what i'm going to be more honest and then just simply like flick a switch and you're you're, you don't feel anything. It's easy for you to do it. I mean, for me, it, it takes it takes work still. Like, I still need to say to myself before I do things that, okay, Mike, this is actually going to be really healthy for you. So let's go ahead and do it, even if you feel a little bit of insecurity as we start talking about it. And, I mean, it it takes work, and it's definitely going to be different for for everyone. But it, it, it is a really interesting thing to think about. How do you share the the past you because i think there's also this like there's this mindset that once you're a parent you're a parent right and that's that's your new role and i i think there's clean so slate much, clean yeah exactly and <laughs> I, I think there's so much space to be able to to use past you as well i always anytime i got in trouble i always felt really assured when my parents shared uh anything while it may not have been the exact scenario I was going through anytime that they just kind of revealed, Oh yeah, I made mistakes when I was younger as well. So it wasn't even about, yes, I did X just like you just did. It was, yeah, when I was younger, I did this and I made a mistake and Hey, look at me. I'm, I'm here. I'm okay. Kind of thing. So it's, it's more just realizing that you can still be fine. And that making a mistake as a kid doesn't mean that you're never going to be, uh, you know, a successful adult. So I deal with that a lot. My previous, so my teaching spaces, I've always been a bit of a niche, um, a niche space. I think that's redundant. I think I can just say a niche teacher. Can I, I don't have to say niche space, (laughs) small space or niche. Um, so I've been in special education. Um, I've done guidance. Uh, last, my last just portfolio previous to now, I was working with students that have been suspended and expelled. So right. that idea that what we do as a kid somehow becomes the template for our whole life. I've been soaked. I've been soaked in that for since pretty much since I started teaching back in uh, 2005. So, so right. I get what you're saying about that. It's just fascinating to, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell I'm gonna ask my buddies that I'm gonna ask them and I'm gonna ask them when I'm face to face with them. This I'm not gonna yes because I, I think there's something really because that moment will hang very differently for d- different groupings of my friends. You know, I totally so yeah it it is funny how you how conversations get managed from group to group, and I think that there I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. No. It's just is interesting how your mind kind of 
can switch from I'm with this group, I need to ask this way, this group to ask this way. And for me, <laughs> part of the fun about having um, such a varied group of friends, like I, I've talked to Andrea too about how I do like spending time. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love talking about um, feminism and masculinity and how we're raising kids in this era. But then I also like going to someone's house and just talking about camping for a couple of hours as mm -hmm. well. Like to just have the, the really simple and basic summertime conversations where you're just sitting there with a couple of families just chatting. And so it's, it's nice for me to have a variety of different, uh, you know, friend groups to be able Dude, to I hear talk about different things with. So. I feel, I feel so much empathetic pain for <laughs> any spouse that's a non-educator and you get right. bunch, you know yeah. you get all the single the group think just it takes up the room and i actually i sure. I, I i make sure it's I've, I've i'm thinking about this but often i it like without thinking sit across from the individual that's not teaching i think part of my brain is setting up is i'd kind of like to talk to someone that's outside the bubble the unfortunate side is sometimes it's like I often look outside the bubble to help me understand more of what's going on inside the bubble. So I have to be <laughs> cautious there, right? That I'm not like yes, exactly. trapped yet. Let's talk about teacher stuff now. Yes, yeah. But I often will, you know, yeah. you make the eye contact and you just see the glazed looking off face of someone that's just, I don't know what to say, but I'm the spouse and I'm yeah. going to support this social engagement, you know? Oh, what text am I getting? Oh, <laughs> total fake texting just to sort of like, you know, engage in something. <laughs> There's got to be something to. Learn. Yeah, exactly. Do you have you heard of um, Herman uh, Villegas? He does a no. modern manhood podcast. No, it's pretty cool. It's he's a pretty cool dude. He's out of Alberta. I chatted with him okay. about a year ago, and I asked him about the the podcast as a as as sort of a vehicle to a conversation. It's a conversation in itself. He blogs on there. He writes, and he he talks right. to some really interesting individuals around. Well, I, the, the name says it all, Modern Manhood. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. I asked him about sort of like the big, well, two things. I asked him, and I, maybe you can sort of dance with these two things too. How do you know you're reaching people? So how do you, and, and it, it's, it's, that's as simple or as complex, dude, as you want to kind of address. But if I will tell you there is value in what you're putting out into the world. I will say as an as a, as a one educator to another you are putting out content that is wholehearted that it's it's honest it's damn straightforward to follow just sit tight read it just sit tight experience it because it doesn't command you to step away from what you're being presented you can exist right there right in the moment so it's a very nice the the type of all in one space kind of a story or message I think it's tight. It's good, right? So I think to myself, you know, I want a dude like this. Like I want, I want everyday girl dad to, to be making a difference. Like I want them to be a change maker because I think that there's, there's critical conversations that this can spark off. So then I kind of put it back to you and whether or not, if you've been able to sort of recognize or realize or had some moments shared with you, you're like, yeah, you know what? Like in that moment, in that one small space, I, it, my, my message kind of got out there and I'm not talking about prefab, but I'm just saying like where it came back to you, that message in a bottle 
because sometimes posting stuff to the digital world, it can be like that until someone reaches back. And let's admit, it's nice to get conversations off of stuff that you give away for free or you sort of put out and start a conversation. So that's the one side. Have you had any sense of change out there? The other side was I was asking them if there was a plan. So I was asking if there was an intention around where he's sort of going with the modern manhood thing. So you can, you can grab either one of those. Yeah, I, so I see a psychologist to help me through recognizing some of these things, actually, because one of my big, um, I guess, mental roadblocks, mental hurdles is the constant worry that I'm not making a difference. So to, to be completely, uh, completely open again, uh, that, that is one of my biggest issues that I carry with me all the time is, is a constant kind of beating of, are you doing enough? Is this even meaningful? But the one area that I do get, uh, I do get the impression that I, uh, am, I'm starting at least conversations with people around is, um, men and honestly, even just parents or people at this point talking very openly about mental health and normalizing the discussions that we can have with kids or with our friends or at work around that kind of thing. And I get a lot of people who reach out to me uh, with the same kind of feelings I have of the, boy, it's nice to see um, my exact kind of feelings reflected in a tweet or, or flip because that that's the one of the parts of my own mental health struggle is the assumption that no one else is going through the same thing. And then when I see people that encapsulate it almost word for word without trying to uh, revel in someone else's mental health struggles, it is at the same time really reassuring to know that you're not the only one who struggles with something doing as simple as making a phone call in the morning or like, you know, people that write out scripts to be able to just leave a voicemail for things. And uh, I get a lot of feedback from people that they really do appreciate that. And on the mental health side of things, I do certainly think that at the very least, the conversations that I have and the openness that I have is creating a space for others to have similar conversations, even if it's just with one other person in their life. I'm not asking people to start broadcasting on Twitter or YouTube or anything if they don't feel comfortable talking about their mental health that way, but even just to find one person to talk to and say, you know what, I am feeling really anxious right now or something. So the mental health part is one area where I see um, my favorite discussions take place, I guess. And the favorite discussions, even just being people very openly admitting to uh, seeking help or needing help or, you know, the relief people get when they find that someone else is, is like that. And so that, that's probably the area that I see the most change. And then, I mean, stemming from that, I think that men talking about mental health is another very positive step. So the two kind of go hand in hand, but to be honest, a lot of the discussions I've had are just with, with people in general. They're not very uh, gender-based discussions. They're more mental health focused. And uh, in terms of the, the plan and the where it goes, this is, this is something else that because I kind of do this as a, um, 
as I live my life thing, not as a, I, I, I tried to run my t-shirt place. I'm the worst. I have no business models for everything. I give away every money, everything that I, every dollar that I make of things. And I've moved to model. Like I, I'm not in it to, because I'm not trying to make money off of anything. I really have no plan beyond, boy, I'm feeling really anxious today. I'm going to share this story or, you know what? I'm feeling really good today. I'm going to do this. Or I noticed that someone at the U S open was fined for readjusting her oh, shirt. One story. Novak Djokovic is what a story. Shirt off, right? so and that's, that's, that's one of three. Eh? That's one of three pieces to this story. So the starting point for that story was the cat suit that Serena Williams wore. Oh my God. And yep. the second sort of at the same time story is Serena Williams wearing the tutu in the current yeah. one. And then you also have this third story. I'm kind of watching that. It's like shaking up the, the Mentos and the Coke bottle. Like I'm, I'm right. But I totally got you on that. Sorry, you triggered me. I was watching that, that play <laughs> today. I was like, have you read this? Have you seen this? Have you seen? Yeah. Wild. And actually the, one of the first stories that I had written that ended up getting a lot of coverage was a story about Eugenie Bouchard actually. And the, the focus on like whenever she, she was making her, her big run uh, probably five years ago now, four or five years ago. And the focus was all on how pretty and beautiful this girl was. And that's a, the, the whole, the thing was, I think what I called it was because I was listening to a local sports radio show where they kept referring to her as sweetheart. Right. And I was like, Okay, come on. This is ridiculous. She's not Canada's sweetheart. She is this badass athlete. And I wrote it. I was dropping Andrea off at work and going home. I was staying home with uh, my daughter at the time. And I went home. I heard it in the car on the drive back home. Wrote it in, I don't know, 30 minutes and published it. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow. There's a lot of people reading this one. This is a little weird. So uh the the whole tennis world and this fascination with uh women athletes and their bodies and then beyond that the people of color and and their bodies how people like to navigate these things disrespectful or whatever and i mean serena williams is about my favorite athlete in the world right now so but it's she uh she is a superhero like when she sort of oh, she she ridiculous yeah i have deep deep respect for her poise and her voice yeah. and her, exactly. I just, I, 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 you know, I'm like, I, at times I'm my daughter, you know, watching a little bit of tennis. I'm like, Maddie, like put, 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 put down that book. Stop reading. No, I don't want you doing anything, drawing, nothing creative. Stop improving, <laughs> exactly. stop improving yourself in the way that you <laughs> st- don't do stop that. doing those amazing things. I've got ways yeah, right now. You, yeah. you got to check this out. She's like, I don't like watching yeah. CNN. And I'm like, oh, I know. You're right. CNN's not great. But this moment, <laughs> check out yes, this moment. Exactly. So cool. I'm um I'm curious. I wanna I wanna I'll throw maybe maybe one or two more things your way and then you wanna wrap it up. You good? Yeah, sounds cool. good. Um so the whole so my podcast, the, the story behind the podcast title, Chasing Squirrels. I'm going to throw it your way as a bit of a provocation. So back in the day, um, we had a pet that was that actually pulled a squirrel off a tree. So, you know, you could kind of 
I mean, maybe you've, maybe you've had a pet do the exact same thing, but from my experience, that's a thing that just doesn't happen too often. It's not exactly an everyday, right. you, you realize like, I don't really didn't think about the moment, like the, wow, this is a poignant life moment, but the story kind of echoed, yeah. echoed with me a lot. And you know, when, when, when the dog did it, her name's Darcy, when she did it, she sort of counter counter circled the tree, which squirrels tend to do. They sort of go opposite to you. And then all of a sudden they're way up in the branches. Right. Well, for whatever reason, the dog, I guess the squirrel saw the human went one way and the dog's like, well, I'm just going to go the other way. We get around the tree and the dog's got the squirrel kind of in her mouth and her nose. This is, this is a, this is a good ending. Okay. No, no squirrels or dogs were harmed in the, in the shaping or recreating of this story. Um, but I do re my, my spouse telling me the story, Darcy did a whole lot of like nose bumping on the squirrel. So they're like boxing and they're squealing and yipping. And all of a sudden, you know, the squirrel's gone and back up the tree. My dog is a little befuddled, like where, where did my toy go? And I can only imagine yeah. in squirrel language, that squirrel just like cursing out my dog, like shaking the, <laughs> you know, the almost, you know, I get this image of like a Disney squirrel, like t chattering and saying, I'll get you next time, dog. Um, the story stuck with me and I started to think about it um, the moment somehow it got attached with this, I, my primary focus for the podcast is actually like changes in education and how, what we do mm -hmm. when we actually achieve that thing, or we notice we've done it, or sometimes where change just kind of happens to you. So I kind of, you know, the, I've had people in the past, like, okay, Clough, are you asking me if I'm the squirrel or the dog? Um, <laughs> in the analogy, but I'm curious in, if, if, if not addressing directly the story, um, it, it the creating the change. Um, okay. Are you, are you, do you find yourself, do you find yourself craving to create or are you more the type that kind of notices and dances with? Where are you in that? Um, like, I, I spent time in both uh, places actually. Uh, where, where I, where I started, this was the need to create. And I, uh, I more sought out things to to write about or to talk about um, because when I first I guess took on when I when I first started blogging I guess and I no longer really think of myself as a blogger as much as a I'm probably just going to use educator from now on take it man take um, it yeah but when I first started it was out of a a need to create stories and it was it was very personal based and I was doing it mostly for me to have a space to express my own emotions and I, I followed that road for a long time and actually just continued to to write stories funny um, I guess emotional uh, or sometimes neither uh, but it would it would always serve a purpose because there was always this need for me to create some written content. And then over time that kind of shifted and, and admittedly social media played a role in that and the way that we can share content differently now. And uh, I stopped finding the need to just write a story for the sake of writing a story. And I've moved to the point now where I, I do a lot more uh, commentary based off of what I'm thinking. I now stories now now come to me. I don't spend time anymore sitting at my desk, kind of 
wringing my hands thinking, when will my next idea come to me? I, uh, I, I just have things that come to me at this point in my life. And uh, part of it too is that I am, I have gone back to school. I work at Carleton, so I'm also taking courses at Carleton. Uh, and so the more I learn, the more kind of aware of my surroundings and the, the way that, you know, everything from, you know, the way movies are put together, TV shows are put together. So today Rotten Tomatoes is looking to diversify its critics and everything. There's just so many different uh, pieces of the world where once you start taking a more, um, critical look at things, which unfortunately is becoming less important, it seems, in a lot of people's media habits, uh, you start to notice there's, there's no lack of commentary need, or I mean, in, in my case, a lot of the times it's, this does not need my commentary, yeah. I more need their commentary, yeah. so I will simply digest this. And I think that that's been part of my learning as well, where I, I probably a few years ago thought that every story needed my, you know, straight white man voice. And, mm-hmm. uh, I no longer think the same way. And, um, that's been part of my learning is to sit back and realize when it's an opportunity to learn and when it's maybe an opportunity for me to, to speak. So, uh, that's, that's kind of where I am now is I, I do, I do think, uh, more often now before I speak and I'm, I'm pretty happy with, <laughs> with having made that decision in my life as well as I, I think probably a lot of people around me are as well. Mm-hmm. I love that you took the creative, the sort of creative roof with that, because I think that um, it's, I'll, I'll say just from in presenting that idea to some, there's a physicality to sort of manifesting change. As in you're you're right. physically doing something in the world. Now, I'm gonna be I'm gonna sort of fall on the poetic side, and I think words do. Words absolutely do create physical changes in the world. I will say that as a as an undercurrent. That's our that's our part two. Yeah. We can talk about that in part two whenever we talk again. Uh, yes, but it's totally. but I also get the sense I like that you took it towards the art end. It made me think about um I can't remember some podcast, some speaker that was talking about creativity. And the individual was talking about another artist's creativity, I think a poet. And the poet articulated creativity as sort of like um, this, this sort of storm kind of coming up in the field through the winds. It's kind of ethereal, but sort of blowing through the field. And, and it kind of you see it coming in the field and you feel the front edge of it. And you need to like run back to whatever the tool is that you need to capture it. Right. So you're like, in this particular case, the poet said as this, you know, this incredibly powerful storm would come up and blow over me, I had to get back to my typewriter because the moment would pass. And if I wasn't there to receive it, it would just pass. It's like the muse, right? You have that yeah. idea of like something speaking to you to drive you to create. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot, actually. And it, it's cool imagery. With my creative... Yeah, it is. And my, my creative outlet has at this point, because I no longer look to my writing as much as I used to for it, because I have uh, found cross-stitching. Which That's awesome, man. I saw, my, I, saw your, I saw your Picard. <laughs> yeah, I, it, this is, this is uh, again, in the spirit of openness, 
I have been uh, cross-stitching as we've been discussing this as well. And if you've seen the Picard right now, I'm working on a data piece. So I have, uh, yeah, the, the cross-stitching has become a pretty neat way to express uh, one, like my anxiety, because it has become my number one kind of tool. Well, I guess I shouldn't say number one. I, I take medication and I see a psychologist and I cross-stitch a lot. Uh, but it, it, it's become such a, a really essential part of even my day-to-day. -day. Like it's a, I, I do actually miss cross-stitching if I don't cross-stitch for a while. So it's, it's interesting how I, I had never cross-stitched until January of this year. And now it's something that I, I miss if I haven't done it for a well, couple of days. Dude, so. it just sounds like you got back to your typewriter before the storm passed. It's exactly what that <laughs> got me thinking about. So, that's that's really beautiful. That's cool, the, man. The weird, the weird typewriter. Although I guess they're both uh, older, um, and I have typewriters at work at my desk actually. And it just comes it comes down to the tool. Some of the most beautiful friggin' machines in the history of communication. So yeah, and it really um, it really just comes back. Yeah. It's the tool. It's the it's the it's the medium between you and whatever comes out. I mean, it, it could be exactly. the cooking. It could yeah. be the writing. It could be music. You know, there's a, there's a lot of yeah. different ways to look at that. And I like, I, I like how that so sweetly kind of wraps back to where, you know, we sort of left off in the conversation and, and kind of, you know, talking about when we, you know, don't blocking, not blocking your kids creativity because the sure. output yeah. expectation it has to be, you have to almost neutralize that. You just have to be yeah. open, like you're cross-stitching. What's going to come out of this? If I direct it too much, will it actually be the thing that I need to see? Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of the, it, it's one of the most nerve-wracking, I suppose, but also enjoyable parts of parenting is that you don't know what you've, been helping raise until I, I mean I can't I would have to imagine my own parents are still <laughs> are still like what did we raise in Michael well, he's still doing weird things at this point you know so it, there is no end game I mean the lessons that you teach continue forever and it, it's really interesting that uh, there is no there's no end to it you're constantly helping you know set building blocks for what your kids will go on to do for all of their lives. Cause I mean, while, while my mom isn't sitting there saying, you know what you should do, you should, you should start this Twitter account where you talk about being a dad to, to girls, but it's, you know, it's something that the both of them, I, I still believe that part of the reason that I do it is because it's part of the way that they raised me to communicate and everything. So, and to see that there are things that opportunities for me to to make change, and I think it's really cool that you know, but when they're eighteen, you're not like, okay, well, let's sit back and think about our final our final score on this parenting game, right? So it's you, you've always got a little bit of your lessons living on in your kids, and I think that's pretty neat. So.
I just hit recording again. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Yeah, I see it going the- again. So messy, so messy. So power goes off in the house, shuts down the medium that we're talking in. I can't actually tell where our conversation <laughs> ended. Prayer the choice. I can acknowledge it. Mike, do you even remember what the last semi-interesting thing that I said before you... Because I think you, you were like mid-answer when it... Um, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's just been so much interesting. How can I pinpoint <laughs> it down to one interesting well, we, thing? We, we, I think we fell out of something about we, wrapping back and not blocking your kid's creativity. Yeah, and, and I did... Because yeah. when I came, I came back to the... And when I finally turned this thing back on, yep. you kind of said something about... Yes, and then they're 18 years old. I'm like, oh my god, I missed 18 years of, of exactly of oh, good man. points. Of can, can you get any of it back? And that then was the best thing I'd ever said as well. <laughs> oh, this man. was awful. Um, no, it, it it was. I was just talking about how um, how the the joy of parenting is that the lessons that we set now for our kids, like that, there is no real end point to it. So the the 18 year old thing is like it's not like when they're 18, you say, okay, parenting is over. We'll not see any more results. Let's see what our yeah. our final success tally is with our kids. Um, so I, I, was, I was mentioning how I, I don't expect that my parents stopped it. I would still be creating the way that I'm creating, right? So I, mm. I don't imagine that they thought I'd be cross-stitching or that I would be talking about the things that I talk about online. But it's, it, it's the kind of seeds that they planted with me as a kid that make me see the value I think in, in sharing these stories and trying to find my own unique way, I suppose, of trying to, to make change. So I was just really focusing, I guess, on how, how neat it is that the results are, are never ending. Like you, yeah, you, you really have so much to look forward to when it comes to uh, what your kids grow up to be and do and that there is no real end to that excitement or or i guess if i'm a complete failure the disappointment so then your kids are going to be on a podcast 18 years from now exactly exactly <laughs> so, so i'd ask them like so yeah what um how did you insert become insert yeah. whatever right it's like well it all goes back to yeah, that's it. where did it all go wrong <laughs> yeah that can go either way. I'll ex- and either way, I'll, I'll accept responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. I'll accept responsibility. Totally. Okay. Here's the last thing. Where would you like to be connected with? So just to recap the spaces, someone wants to reach out, um, share or connect or just uh, read some of your stuff. Where would you like to be found? Um, I, I guess what, one of the, one of the, the neatest spaces that I operate at this point is on Facebook. I've started a, a group called uh, masculinity makeover where it's just people discussing masculinity um, in a, a space that I'm trying to create as safe where it's uh, men's rights advocate free. And I, I'm totally willing for people to have debates about masculinity. I'm not willing to have those um, debates focused on, uh, you know, the, the one thing for me is if people are willing, if people are interested in making change in the lives of men, um, I love that. Not if it is at the expense of women though. So 
I think there are so many groups out there that focus, that say they're interested in helping men, but it's really just rooted in a hatred of women. And uh, our group is certainly not the space for those discussions, but we are having some pretty neat discussions about um, how men can grow, you know, emotions in boys and even as, as men trying to find spaces to, to discover new things about yourself and everything. So the masculinity makeover group on Facebook is one of my uh, favorite spots, depending on how much uh, mental energy I have. I personally sometimes participate more or sometimes less, but it's grown big enough that I certainly don't need to chime in all the time to have really viable conversations. Uh, and I mean, Twitter, I have a lot of, a lot of fun on and, uh, and all of the all of the places. Instagram is great too, but you know, I, I pretty much lack if I if I don't get a lot of joy out of one of my accounts, I tend to just not do it anymore. So uh, anything that I have right now, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, uh, they're all good places. Cool, Love man. To join us in those discussions. Very cool. Very cool. I'll include it in um, in the show notes too. So if awesome. anyone's checking the cast, they're going to have access to that. Mike, thanks a lot, man. I, yeah, I, I, I really dug this conversation and I hope to God I have the first half of it or sorry, the <laughs> first nine tenths of it. Um, I'd be going by my notes to try and figure out how we ever get that flow back because that was really cool. I, I really yeah. enjoyed chatting with you, man. It was. Um, yeah, whenever we're uh, whenever we're ready for part two, we'll follow. Or Which may even be. if we need to do part one uh, B, it'll actually be. Yeah, part I, I, I'm not even going to check because I can see I have the other file in there. What I will ask, what I will ask, I'll say it flat out. Leave yeah. your leave your browser up at the end if you could. Yeah, I will. Yeah, only because there's going to be some upload download kind of stuff going on. Um, yeah, well, okay. I'm I got my fingers crossed. I'm not even looking at the other the other recording so i'm, yeah. I'm hoping it's, it's there oh, it's there all right i just won't touch it there we go so best to you best to you and your family please keep creating keep posting out i just checked out that uh, masculinity makeover i joined in let's see i'm curious there what going on there yeah it's a lot of fun all right man so, there it is all right thank you very much yeah you're welcome i'll chat you soon yeah thanks a lot